The words of Jesus are intense. And his call to us is intense. The call to follow him is not a light and simple call from Jesus. There's intensity behind it. But the question is, what does it even mean to follow him? And what does that even look like in our everyday lives? See, we talk so much in the church about what it means to believe in Jesus. Quite often, the difficulty we have is what does it look like to actually follow him? What does it mean to him when your spouse isn't so sure that they want to be married to you anymore? What does it look like to follow him when the test results come back and it's not at all the news that you were prepared to hear? What does it look like him after loss and when everything has changed and the future seems unclear and the steps forward just aren't certain? What does it look like to follow him? And how do you do it? Does following Jesus just involve some simple spiritual practices that you take up on your own in the morning? Or involve just coming in worship in this gathering? Or is the scriptures are calling us to do? That would call us to live out our faith and inform us how to do that in every single setting of our lives. I, for one, believe that the scriptures do grid for how to follow him in every setting of our lives. And what it looks like then to be a daily disciple of Jesus, for making the daily decision to honor God and to pursue him with our Because Jesus calls us to daily discipleship, not just Sunday discipleship. But what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, not just on Sunday mornings, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday afternoons? The next several weeks, we're going to unpack that. We're going to look at this grid that I believe is found in the words of Jesus, found all through the New Testament, a grid for how we are to daily make decisions and how we can daily pursue Jesus with every moment of every single day. But in order for us to understand that, we have to begin with the words and the call of Jesus. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. So if you have a physical Bible, head there. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you hit one of those others, head back. Matthew's the first of the New Testament. Or pull it up on your mobile device or whatever device you're using. If you're joining us from home, welcome. We're with us. And we're going to put the scriptures up on the screen in just a moment for you to join along as well. Matthew chapter 16. The words of Jesus, the call of Jesus that we just heard a moment ago, beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
Jesus at this point has been facing increasing misunderstanding in his ministry. They're, they're expecting him, but right now, especially, there are people just confused by him. There's misunderstanding over what he has come to do and even who he is. Many are just expecting Jesus to bring in some kind of political revival movement, free them from Rome. And so they're hoping the Messiah is really a political savior. But Jesus has come to do something else. So just prior to this passage, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And and more pointedly, in verse 15, who do you say that I am? Do you think that I'm the Messiah? And Peter makes this declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So from that point forward, Jesus then begins to explain to them what it means for him to be. In fact, Matthew 16, verse 21 says, from that point forward, Jesus begins to communicate with the disciples what he must do as the Messiah. The scriptures say that he must go to Jerusalem and give up his life for our sin. It's from that moment with Peter's declaration that Jesus starts to let them in on what it looks like for the Messiah to come and what he's been called to do. But then a shift happens in the text. And at verse the shifts from talking about what he's called to do to talking about what you're called to do and what I'm called to do. He's explained what Messiahship looks like. Now he wants to talk to us about And in verse 24, as he begins this conversation on discipleship, Jesus says, if anyone... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is going to define what discipleship looks like. If anyone, pay attention to how Jesus begins this. If, being I think the operative word here, if anyone. Anyone's free to come and accept the hope that he has come to bring. Anyone is free to embrace the rescue is bringing in the person of his son eternal life freely given and yet not all would receive, not all would choose because there is a cost to be paid. And Jesus here defines the cost for us. There's a cost that some are unwilling to pay and a decision that some are unwilling to make. If anyone would come, he says, they must follow me. They must come after me. They must choose course. He's defining for us what it means to be a disciple. And the whole concept of disciple is rooted in this idea of following. I think that's why Jesus bookends his statement here. Come after, and then at the end, follow me. Come after and take up your cross and follow me. And the whole idea of discipleship is rooted in this notion of following. We, we think discipleship is just being a learner, but it's so much more than that. Certainly you must learn the ways of Jesus, learn the truth of Jesus. It's not just that, but it's so much more. This word come after literally means to fall in. To fall in. And fall in literally means to come under the rank of the person before you. To come under the rank this isn't just about falling in line where if you're out of place or have a hair out of, out of place, like you're going to get yelled at. No, no, that's not falling in. Falling in is coming underneath the rank of the person before you, saying, I accept your authority, and I accept what you are saying and what you are and I'm going to follow that to the T. 
Jesus is saying, I want you to come after. I want you to fall in and come under my rank. Not listen to your voice and your authority. I want you to listen to my voice and my authority now. Come after me. In the first century, this was a vivid image because people saw this played out regularly as disciples would follow their rabbi. And following a rabbi wasn't just being a learner. Again, it's so much more. It's not less than, but it's more. It wasn't just that you would follow a rabbi and you take notes on his teaching and learn his teaching and then go home and do your homework and then get back up the next day and go to school again and maybe get a couple months off in the summer. No, because following just learning the teachings of the rabbi. To follow the rabbi was to figure out how do those teachings get lived out in the rabbi's life every single day. And so the disciple would turn away from his life and he would follow the rabbi because he wanted to see what the teaching looked like in his eating and in his conversing. And in his coming and in his going and in his rising and in his sleeping, the disciple would be there, understood not just what the teacher was saying, but how to live it out. Jesus saying, you want to come after me? Man, fall in behind me. Take up my authority, not just my teaching, way of living and how those teachings are implemented in every part of your life. Every habit and every undertaking you are to copy. Because the goal for a disciple wasn't just to learn the teaching of a rabbi, it was to learn a whole new Years ago when Tiger Woods was like the dominant golfer on the tour, I remember vividly people like trying to figure out, okay, what's Tiger's technique? What makes him so much better? What makes him so good? And, and so they'd figure out what club and they'd, you know, wear the red polo on Sunday to see if maybe that helped. But the reality is just studying the techniques of Tiger was not enough. The reality is what set Tiger apart was the fact that Tiger got up at the craziest hour swing his club over and over again all day. When it was pouring rain and everyone's running off the course, Tiger would go on and he would swing the club over and over again in every condition to perfect his trade, his craft. So many people are trying to figure out what's the technique, what are the tools of Tiger Woods, but were they willing to wake up at four in the morning? Were they willing to stand out in the rain? Were they willing to stand out in blustery wind and cold? What set Tiger apart? Jesus is saying, you cannot hold on to your way of living if you want to learn mine. You must not just take up my teachings, you must take up my very habits. Do and watch and learn from my life and then imitate it. See, this is what it means to be a disciple. So let's just define what it means to be a disciple here for a moment, what a disciple is. A disciple is one who chooses to come under Jesus and take up Jesus' example in every area of life every single day. So it means to be a disciple. To come under the authority, you could put in their teaching as well, but it's not just his teaching, authority. He is king. We come under his kingship and we also take up his example in every area of life, every single day. Because it's not just about being a 
or a Sunday disciple. Jesus calls us to be a daily disciple. And get used to that term because that's the one we're going to start using. Jesus wants us to be daily disciples, and it means coming under his authority, taking up his example every moment of every single day. And this is reinforced by what he says next. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. The word deny literally means to reject. Jesus is saying, if you want to live for me, you must refuse to live for yourself. If you want to live and follow in my steps, you've got to reject your own steps in your own direction. It makes absolutely no sense when you're trying to navigate to a place to punch the coordinates into Google Maps and then get in the car and ignore everything that it says. And yet for so many of us in our pursuit of Jesus, we'll hear the coordinates on Sunday and then drive our own way on Monday. Jesus saying, you want to come after me, it requires you to reject what you think is right in your direction and listen to my voice because I promise you, I will take you to the place that you want to go. He cements this then by going on and using the image of the cross. Take up your cross. Understand when Rome came into power, one of the things that they did to criminals who had defied Rome's authority is they crucified them. And it wasn't just this gruesome punishment. It was symbolic for the Roman Empire. If you had defied Rome's authority, once you were captured and arrested and sent off for punishment of crucifixion, you were required to carry the crossbeam that you would be nailed to, the of Rome, on your shoulders. And it was symbolic and it was done publicly and they would make you walk there with everyone watching and then they would crucify you with everyone watching and they would leave you there for days with everyone watching of Rome and that crossbeam on your shoulders was a way of signifying to everyone else that the authority that you once rejected, you have now come under. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, reject your own way, your own voice, and come under my authority. Pick it up and choose to walk in it. He promises us in the Gospels, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light to carry. He promises it will ultimately lead to our joy and lead to life that is truly life. He promises that we can't do this on our own. If we want to live for him, we got to submit to him. It's the very thing that he goes on to say. Verses 6, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, gives up his life for my sake, will find it, find life. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus is saying, hey, you can go free to choose your own direction. You're totally free to listen to your own voice. And you may just end up gaining all the things in this life that you had hoped for. But you'll lose the life that really counts. Understand, Jesus is saying, you cannot save your soul. You can't rescue yourself from the biggest problem that you're facing. The problem inside, the habits, thoughts that keep coming back, the addictions, whatever it is. Those burdens that you bear, Jesus came to bear for you. And he who's willing to give up his life and come under his authority will find the life 
truly life. You're free to try to gain the whole world, but Jesus is concerned with your soul. And only Jesus can save your soul. First John 5, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Not in your voice, not in mine. Don't listen to me. Listen to the scriptures. It's in his son. Whoever has the son has life, John says. Whoever has the son of God does not have life. See, the paradox of the gospel is that in order to have life, we must be willing to lay ours down. In order to have the life that is truly life, we must be willing to lay it down to him who offers it. And remember in this, that Jesus isn't just talking about salvation. Certainly salvation's involved. But in Matthew 16, he's really defining discipleship for us as well. And so in this, Jesus isn't just talking about surrendering to him as this one-time decision. You know, I did that when I was 10 in church. I did that once. No, when Jesus is talking about following him, he's talking about an ongoing activity. That word come, follow. Follow me at the end. The verb that Jesus uses there is this ongoing active verb. The implication is you're not just following me one time with some mental decision that you made. You are following me every day and you are continuing of me ongoing until I come and get you. I want you to follow me, not just once, not just with a decision, but with your very life every single day. He's calling us to daily worship. I have a friend in this church, a guy that I met, went off to SEAL school and then came back and visited before he went to his next station. He told me about SEAL school. And the U.S. Navy SEALs, when they train their their women, um, they're, they're forced through all these kinds of rigors, Right? I mean, as he describes it, it was hell on earth for him. He's like, I've seen it. I've tasted of it. I don't want any more of it. And and in that, every single day when they get exercise, another thing to push them to the limit, another thing to break them. And the whole time, he says that we're out there, we're being screamed at to go up the beach and ring the bell because there's this bell that you can ring. And if you ring it, you can go your You can set your own schedule. You can get dry clothes. You can get a hot cup of coffee. You can do whatever you want if you would just ring that bell. And he said, every day I thought to myself, surely this is the worst of it. Surely it's over. Like they can't come up with anything more crazy than this. Sure enough, there it was. And every day my will is just crying out. Like I want to be done. I am tired. I would love coffee. I would love a meal. Every day said, and every day I had to make the decision, no, I'm choosing this. I'm committed to this. Jesus is saying, every day you're gonna be tempted to choose your own direction, your own will. Every day the world is gonna throw all kinds of things at you, all kinds of cultural, sometimes even literal candy. Like, I don't know about that anymore after the holidays. Following Jesus isn't just about one time saying, I believe in you, and then going on with our lives. It is the daily decision to say, no, I'm committed to you. And I'm not committed to that. I'm not choosing that. I'm choosing you. I'm choosing your voice. I want what you want. Let me be very, very clear on this, though. Let me be very clear. Scripture 
we are saved, when we profess our faith in Jesus, and when we call on him, confess our sin, and place our faith in him, we are justified, made right with God. We are justified once for all. So let me between salvation and that one-time decision to place your faith in Jesus, and then the ongoing call to follow him. Because the scriptures are clear. You need only call out to him once and ask for his forgiveness and you in that moment. Not that we don't ever confess our sin or ask for forgiveness from that moment forward, but scriptures say that you are declared just and right before God in a moment. And that word justified or justification in the scriptures Think of it as the judge with the gavel. And when he hits that gavel and declares not guilty, you don't have to stick around for another five minutes and figure out if you're still not guilty. You don't have to show up to court the next day and find out, am I still not guilty? Tuesday now. Once the judge makes that ruling, it goes in the books and it's permanent. You are free. But what Jesus is calling us, where discipleship picks up, is that each and every day we must choose to walk in the freedom of his declaration. Though we are declared right before God when we confess our sin and ask his forgiveness, we must continue then to walk in that freedom and the power of that declaration. Every day we wake up and we decide Will I live according to who he is and now all I am? Or will I walk back to county prison? We are called every day to live into our declaration. So I love the quote of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis once said, God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. He's not talking about salvation in that moment. He's just talking about relying, surrender, because our will is constantly pulling us back to our decisions. And C.S. Lewis acknowledged, man, my flesh is constantly pulling at me. And every day I must rely on him all over again as if nothing has yet been done. See, being a daily disciple then is about choosing to live every moment, every day. So here's what a daily disciple looks like. A daily disciple then makes the decision to live for Christ in every moment of every day. We define a, this is what it means to be a daily disciple. We choose, we make the decision every day to live for Christ in every moment of every single day. Not just once and done, but every single moment I must bring my heart back to him, rely on render to his authority and his voice, not my own. A daily disciple makes the decision to live for Christ in every moment of every single day. What does this look like then in life? Practically speaking, what does this look like for us? What are the things how to make to pursue Jesus? I want to give you a grid then, and it's a grid that we're going to unpack for the rest of the series, but it's a grid found, I believe, in the scriptures. It's the grid the scriptures and the New Testament and Jesus especially gives us for what it looks like to be a daily disciple the gospel. So I want you to look at this grid with me. Because the scriptures tell us that you and I were created by God uniquely and we bear his image. And yet we chose not to come under God's authority, but all the way back in Genesis, we chose our own 
own way, our own voice. And as a result of that decision, we now find ourselves in sin. We're constrained by sin. There's this box around us. We're going to draw a triangle. You'll see why in a moment. We're, we live lives now constrained by to sin because of a decision that we made not to come under his authority, but instead pursue our own. And yet the gospel also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. Romans tells us that he sent Christ to us. So there is now this relationship between us and God that God is establishing. When we place our faith in him, God redeems us. He justifies us. He makes us right. And suddenly now we have a path. Jesus is that path. There's this upward relationship that God has offered through Jesus Christ. Our upward relationship is restored when we place our faith in Jesus. We are restored to God. We are at peace with God. It's the upward. But it doesn't you're not just forgiven of your sin and have this upward relationship while everything else is untouched. What Jesus does in you begins to transform every part of you. And this upward relationship begins to then move out and into every part of your life. Justification becomes transformation. And God does this work in you to begin addressing the hurts, to begin addressing the hangups and the habits. The work in you because of that upward relationship. You become a new creation. But that work in you is also designed to come out of you. The Gospels tell us the overflow of what is happening in you should overflow into your relationships. That it's not just a vertical restoration and reconciliation, but it leads to a horizontal reconciliation as well. And not only that, but God gives you then purpose in the world, invites you the kingdom and a part of his mission. The upward relationship brings inward change, and that inward change gives you an outward call to go and make disciples. And it does an outward work in every relationship. What does that mean, though? As a daily disciple, we don't just rest in that and move on with our own lives. No, then as a daily disciple, we commit every day to lean into that upward relationship. And every day we say, I choose today to live for Christ. God has done for me. My life is now about him and his glory. It's not about me and my glory. It's about him and his glory. And so I choose today to live for him to live for Christ. And then every morning when we wake up, we consider, how do I today live for Christ? Christ has done for me. How do I live for Christ in this moment? And the more that we think about how to live for Christ, then the more we hear the call of Christ in our lives then, that we aren't just to live for him, but we're to die to self. The upward translates to the inward. Christ has done in us, he begins to give us the power to actually die to self to work through those things that are happening in our lives. But we choose not just to live for Christ, but also to die to self. I'm not here to live for my own indulgences anymore, my own passions. I'm here to live for Christ, so I die to self. And then ultimately, Jesus calls me not just to die to self, but to give my life in service to others. This is the grid of the gospels. This is the grid of Jesus' life. This is the grid that he calls his disciples to take up in their own life. Live for Self, give your life in service to others. First John 3:16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's the upward, and we then ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
flesh and human passions. We die to that, but we give our lives in service to others as Jesus gave his life in service to us. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to be a servant. Here's the beauty of this. The more that we lean into and focus there first, which is why it's first. Let me put this line in here because the reality is when we focus there first, Jesus promises us to give us the power, we call the Holy Spirit this week, the power to deal with everything below that line. We can't die to self on our own without his help. And we can't give our lives in service to others without his empowerment. But when we focus our lives and when we begin with that first of living for Christ changes everything. So what's the implication of this? What's, what's the takeaway of this for you and me today? As we've seen in the words of Jesus and as we see in that grid then, the grid of Jesus, the grid of the New Testament, for Christ, it starts by surrendering our lives to him every single day. It starts by placing your faith in him. And then even after you place your faith in him, you continue to surrender yourself to him. Because the call of my flesh is strong. I don't know about yours. The desires of this life, they are strong and they are plenty. And every single day I must choose all over again, as C.S. Lewis said, to rely on him, myself, to live for Christ. Martin Luther once said, and we often reflect on this, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. We say we, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. After that, we surrender our lives to him every day too. Because the gospel calls me, I can't do it on my own. I must continue to rely on him. So what does this look like? means that when you go back to school, when you go back to college and you're invited to that party, can I live for Christ there? And if I'm living for Christ, is this where he would call me to go? What does it look like then to die to self at that party or maybe die to self by not going to it? What does it look like then to service to others, your dorm mates, your roommates? means that when you don't really feel loving towards your kids and your spouse, you in that moment ask yourself, how do I live for Christ? And, what would and live not for your feelings, live not based on what you're thinking about this relationship, but instead live according to his commands and you put yourself under that authority. And then you die to yourself and you die to how you feel and you commit your life in service to others. I'm going to serve you even though you don't deserve it right now. And guess what? If they're doing this too, they're going to serve you even though you don't deserve it. And that's powerful. And it's humbling. It's transformative. What does this mean in a season where everything politically is thrown upside down? What does it mean in a season when all of the stability we thought we had is suddenly challenged? questions and we don't know who to trust. It means that we wake up and we ask, what does it look like to live for Christ and live for a greater kingdom? What does it look like to live for the one who I can trust implicitly and whom the scriptures say his kingdom will have no end? And then how do I die to myself in that in spite of what my mind wants to tell me and my fears want to tell me and my anxiety wants to tell me, how do I die to that? 
my life in service to others and look out because if Christ is calling us to give our lives in service to others, that means we have to give our lives to the people that we think have betrayed us. Just as Jesus washed the feet of Judas. It's a grid that teaches us how to live with people we disagree with, how to respond to people we disagree with, and to live in a way that brings Jesus all of the glory and all of the honor. We live for Christ, we die to and we give our lives in service to each other. And so what do you do with this? If you've placed your faith in Jesus already, and this is about coming back to him each and every day, each and every day. If you're not doing that, then that's where we begin. And to help you with that throughout this series, we wanna invite you to read through the gospels with us. We're gonna immerse ourselves in the words of Jesus. So uh, again, pull up the nebc.ch mobile. The reading plan is right there. Click on it. It's easily accessible on your phone every day. Print it out if you want, or just look it up on your phone. Start there with the words of Jesus every day. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about building this habit into your life. But if you want to live for Christ, understand what Christ is calling you to. And you have to accept his direction. So start there. Would you join us in this reading plan? The next 12 weeks, let's, as a church, immerse ourselves in the words and the life and the example of Jesus. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus... And hear what Jesus says, you do not have the life that is truly life. You're holding on to things in this world and those things will absolutely betray you. Nothing in the end. And you cannot save your soul. And would you today be willing to trust the one who came to bring you the life that is truly life? Willing to surrender your life to Jesus. The scriptures say that when we come and we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us of all unrighteousness. In that moment, that confession, and we ask his forgiveness, we're declared right with God. Once and for all, Hebrews 10, 10, you are made holy once and for all. He promises though, not just to leave us in that, but to continue his work in us the image of Jesus, and to lead us from that point forward. But it begins when you make that confession. And if you've never made that confession, then you don't know the hope that Jesus can offer. Confession, then absolutely this past week in our country looks unbelievably scary. But if you've made that confession, you realize that there's a hope we're living for that the world can't see. A security that we have be shaken and never be taken. And if you're feeling at a loss of security and a loss of hope, then would you today place your faith in Jesus? Would you bow with me as we close? All of us, no matter where we are in our journey, with Jesus we could look at our lives and find something that we haven't laid down to him. All of us could find areas of our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's relational, whether it's sexual things that we have 
kept under our own direction and our own control. Would you today surrender that to Jesus? You may have surrendered that five minutes before walking in the door. Would you do it again? Because we have to rely on him all day. Jesus is calling you to be a daily, moment-by-moment disciple. But for those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus, can I invite you to begin the journey now? And if you lack the words, would you just pray after me? Father, I confess I have chosen my own direction. I've listened to my own voice and my own followed my own desires. And today, God, I lay all of that down. I confess I need you. I confess, Lord, my sin and that I am lost without you. And so I choose today, right now, to place my faith in you, trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of Father, would you change me from the inside out and begin that work of transforming everything about me? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.